Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah 63, that is, uh, if you're using the Bible in the chair rack in front of you, uh, that should be found on page 622. Isaiah 63, and I will be reading verses 7 through 14. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely, and he became their savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. When they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, of Moses and of his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his, with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put, them, who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? who caused his glorious arm to to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths. Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock that that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Thank you, Andrew. Well, I think you would agree with me, waiting is hard. Have you ever wait for something? Waiting is hard. Receiving medical treatments or rehabilitation after a surgery can sometimes be very long, and it may seem like days of good health are a long way away. As a degenerative disease grows increasingly difficult, it's easy to give up hope, to lose hope. Waiting for the return of a prodigal child or waiting for a breakthrough in a broken relationship can be intensely grueling. Waiting is hard when you experience things that you don't want, but waiting is also hard when... Uh, You are anxious for those things to come that you do want. Uh, An engaged couple has a hard time waiting for the wedding. A young couple expecting their first baby sometimes thinks that baby will never come. Uh, Children and teachers count the number of days till summer break begins. At least I did when I was in school. I knew how many days it was to break time. Um, Those who work a rather difficult job are often anxiously counting the days till retirement comes. Maybe you're counting the days till spring as you live here in Wisconsin. There's lots of times in lots of different situations where waiting is hard. And certainly believers are waiting for the Lord's return. Uh, Jesus says at the very end of Revelation, surely I am coming soon. (laughs) Soon? Really? (laughs) We want you to come now. 
When, when Jesus comes again, our salvation will be complete. When Jesus comes again, he will also bring judgment against those who have rejected the gospel. In the first six verses of Isaiah chapter 63 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we're promised that the day of the Lord's vengeance is coming. That, that promise, uh, the promise of a day of vengeance is something that brings comfort to God's children because we know that in the end, justice will be served. But today, we wait. Today, we endure through suffering. We endure attacks, endure attacks from the evil one. We face persecution from those who hate God. The, the psalmist in Psalm 13:1 says, how long, O oh Lord? We anxiously wait and we long for the Lord's return. Now the question that we're going to entertain this morning is this. What, what do we do while we wait? Uh, more specifically, how, how can we wait well? How can we endure the highs and lows of this age, the, the joys and the sorrows, the valleys and the mountaintops? How, how can we endure those things well as we wait for the coming of Christ? These eight verses that we're going to look at in Isaiah 63 teach us three primary things that we can do while we wait for the Lord that will help us to wait well. And the first thing that we see here is that we must remember the steadfast love of the Lord. It, it's too easy to forget. It's far too easy to have our minds so filled with difficult circumstances that we forget these steadfast, the steadfast love of the Lord. In fact, as I was preparing for our opening today and I looked at how many psalms begin with giving praise, one of the things that you see again and again and again is giving praise for the steadfast love of the Lord. Isaiah is speaking about what he wants to remember here in this text, but he's also writing as a prophet to minister to God's people. And in the original setting, it was the people of Judah being prepared to endure Babylon as exiles and then being prepared to return to Jerusalem after, after their captivity. But here Isaiah says he will intentionally rehearse the steadfast love of the Lord. In fact, he will, the text says, recount the abundance of the Lord's steadfast love. What is this? Steadfast love. Well, the word for steadfast in the Hebrew is hesed. It, it can be, I think, best translated covenantal loyalty. So the Lord is committed to love his people because of the covenant that he made with them. A steadfast love is not fickle. It doesn't come and go based upon the circumstances or feelings. I think a picture of this is the marriage commitment and the marriage covenant. I, I'm committed to love Shelley, and she's committed to love me for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, in poverty and in riches, till death do us part. 
It's a steadfast love built upon the covenant of marriage. Well, God certainly has abundant, steadfast love for his people. When Judah was in Babylon, those who were alive spiritually were comforted and emboldened by the Lord's steadfast love. The the circumstances in Babylon seem very, very bleak, but God never stopped having enduring, steadfast love for his people. In fact, in verses 7 through 9, Isaiah mentions many things God's people must remember about the Lord. Verse 7 says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So remember not just the Lord's enduring covenantal loyalty, but remember all of the things the Lord is deserving of your praise for. Remember all that the Lord has given to you. Remember all the ways he has given you great goodness, uh, great goodness that he has given to his people, all according to his compassion. So look for the hand of God at work in your life. Look for the ways in which he has been at work in your life. Verse 8 says, For he said, the Lord said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. So God sovereignly chose to set his affection on them, to love them, and to make them his very own. And because of that, he became their savior. And we'll talk a little bit more in verses 11 through 14 about that when uh, Isaiah rehearses how the, the, the story of how the Lord delivered them from slavery in, in Egypt. We'll talk more about that later. But verse 9 goes on. It says, In all of their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. This, I think, is amazing. So the Lord was, the, the Lord was not far off and distant to his people. We're, we're told here that he identified with their afflictions. When, when they were afflicted, he was afflicted with them. Verse 9 continues, In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of, of old. So the, the Lord had pity and compassion on them. He, he gave them strength. He, he carried them through their afflictions when they could not carry themselves And even when their afflictions were the consequence of their own stubborn sin, even then the Lord gave them strength and carried them and walked with them. This phrase, the angel of his presence saved them, is interesting. Uh, Motir says the face means personal, recognizable presence. This is the angelic being who made the Lord's presence recognizably real among his people. Uh, John Oswald also says the angel is the Lord himself as, a, as visibly present. So re- remember, remember how we're told that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses at the burning bush. 
And in that place, Moses was told to take off his sandals because the place that he stood was holy ground. And as Moses stood there, God spoke to him. Another example of this is found in Exodus 33, 2, where the Lord was instructing his people to go into the promised land. And he said this, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, Hittites, and so forth. And then in verse 14 of the same chapter, we read, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So the Lord was with his people. Uh, the Lord was for his people. So Isaiah is saying to his people that he's ministering to, you need to remember that. You need to believe that. Even when circumstances seem so bleak, the Lord's love for his people is steadfast. It's an enduring love. So the people of Judah in Babylon, in exile, in a foreign land, needed to remember the Lord's enduring, steadfast love. You, you too, this morning, need to remember that. The, the final words of Jesus spoken to his disciples after his resurrection and before his ascension up into heaven were this, and I am with you always to the end of the age. <laughs> and, and Jesus is with us always by his Spirit. Jesus said in John uh, 14, 16, and 17, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's one of the truths that we need to remember. Jesus, when he was physically present with the disciples, how much better can it be? But Jesus said, it's good that I go because if I go, uh, I will send another to help you, the Spirit who will come to dwell with you forever. So we need to remember these truths. But what, what else do we need to remember? Uh, it, it's, it's good to rehearse these things, uh, the steadfast love of the Lord, all, all of the things that God gives which deserve His praise. And there are many things. When I read through this passage, it, my mind just kept going to... Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 in Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So it's like there's a long list of ways in which God has blessed us in Christ. And we need to remember those things. Uh, but here Isaiah mentions his goodness and his kindness to you, his compassion his electing grace, his work of redemption, his willingness, willingness to identify with you in your affliction, and how in his love and pity he carried you all of the days. So remember these things. This, this act of remembering is so important for the Christian. Think about the ordinance or the sacrament of communion. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, Jesus tells us, do this in remembrance of me. We must remember and rehearse the gospel of Jesus Christ continuously. 
I, I preached the funeral for my uncle a bunch of years ago, and in doing that, I really focused on just making known the gospel as our only source of hope. And afterwards, I was approached by several people who thanked me for that focus on the gospel, um, articulating the gospel. And, and one of those people that thanked me was my cousin, and, and she said this, we needed that more than you will ever know because far too often we just assume the gospel. And I, I think that is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 says this, now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, too, helps us to see the need to work hard at remembering all that God has given to us in Christ. So listen, in fact, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. I'm going to read a longer text of Scripture. Um, it, this is a text that rehearses the kinds of things that we need to remember, but then pay attention to towards the end. Notice how Paul or Peter here emphasizes the importance of remembering these things. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore... I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So there, there are some things so important that they must be drilled into our thinking so that we'll never forget. And so that we'll constantly grow in our ability to live in light of them. So that is one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why I am personally 
making more effort this year to put the armor verses into memory. Um, we call them armor verses. We've said for years we want to memorize them, and sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But this year I um, really want to work harder, trusting the Lord to help me just put into memory all of the armor verses as Tim articulated the reason why we want to do that. We want to be reminded at a moment's notice of all of the wonderful promises that God has given to us in, in Christ. It's important. Your life will not have much staying power if you do not work hard to remember all that God has given to you in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Your life will not have much staying power if you do not work hard to remember all that God has given to you in Christ. Now, verse 10 of Isaiah 63 tells us a second thing to remember. It's this. Remember that rebellion grieves the spirit. Uh, verse 10 says, but they rebelled. So after rehearsing all of those wonderful truths, verse 10 comes and says, but, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy, and himself fought against them. Now, God's steadfast love didn't stop. But according to the stipulations of the Mosaic Covenant, there would be blessings for their obedience, but consequences for their disobedience. And consequences were given by the Lord. And that's why Judah was taken into exile in Babylon. God was faithful to discipline and giving them opportunity to repent. That is why verse 10 is referring, I think that's what verse 10 is referring to when Isaiah says he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Um, James 4 even teaches us that we become an enemy of God when we love something or someone more than him. And in that passage, we're told that God becomes jealous and pursues us, in fact, gives us more grace, and he leads us to repent and to put to death the idols in our, in our lives. But along with that, there's something else that we have to see in verse 10, and it's this, that the Holy Spirit was grieved. So, one, that whole idea of the, the Lord's discipline, but two, the Holy Spirit was grieved by their rebellion. When, when God's redeemed people refused to listen to the Lord and instead went their own way, the Holy Spirit, whom the Lord put in their midst, was grieved. So no, notice that the Holy Spirit was clearly at work in the Old Testament. Here is a clear example of his presence with God's people. Um, there are some differences than that in the New Covenant, but still the Holy Spirit was present and at work in the Old Testament. Verse 11 even says that the Lord put the Holy Spirit in their midst. So, so much so that when they refused to listen and obey, he, the Holy Spirit, was grieved. It, it brought pain and sorrow to the Holy Spirit when God's people rebelled. 
Now, in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit is given as a deposit to each believer. And by the Holy Spirit, the church is being built together to be a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. And yes, it is possible for you today to grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29-32, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So please, please know that how you speak to other people and treat other people matters to the Holy Spirit. L listen to this warning passage given to the church in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, and I quote, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more or how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So how you respond when you're convicted of your sin by a known sin matters greatly to the Holy Spirit. If you deliberately continue to sin, you enrage, you enrage the Spirit of grace. My Bible reading from yesterday took me to Acts 7.51 where Stephen said this to the Jews who crucified Jesus. And I quote, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts, in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. It's a sober warning that Hebrews gives us. So how does knowing this help us to wait for and to wait well for the coming of the Lord? Well, I think one way is to be thankful that the Father and the Son gave you the gift of the Spirit. He, he is a deposit that guarantees your inheritance. He seals you for the day of redemption. He teaches you and keeps you and comforts you. He transforms you and empowers you for service and worship. But two, Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, which we do, we let us keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul said that 
in the middle of a call to crucify the flesh and its desires and passions. Put, put to death pride and jealousy, sexual immorality, divisions, drunkenness, etc., etc. And put on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control you will have a hard time waiting well for the coming of the Lord if you don't keep in step with the Spirit. You, you won't wait well if you grieve the Holy Spirit. Now our final point this morning is this, remember the Lord will work for the glory of His own name. Verse 11 in Isaiah tells us, to rem- he reminisces about the old, the old, the, the days of old. In particular, he rehearses how God saved Israel from slavery in Egypt. Verse eleven says, "Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people." Um, and and Isaiah here not only remembers, but then he begins to question, "Where where is he now?" I remember how he did such great things. Where where is he now? He goes on. Where, where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an ever, everlasting name, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. So what ultimately led the Lord to reveal His great power in rescuing Israel from slavery in Egypt? What what ultimately motivated him to do that? Well, we're told again and again that he did it for the sake of his own glorious name. God created and redeemed Israel for his own glory. God is most passionate about his own glory. If God is going to be God, and then he has to be most passionate about the greatest good in the universe, which is Him. God would not be God if He did not work to exalt His own glory. The the greatest good in the universe is God. And so how can God be most passionate about anything else? Uh, We've seen this before in Isaiah 48, verses 9-11. through I read, For my name's sake... I defer my anger for the sake of my praise. I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. So now, here here is an important question. Why does God want you to know that now (laughs) in in this context? Well, in in one sense, it might seem like God is just kind of doing his own thing and he cares 
very little about you. Um, if, if that were the case, knowing, knowing that God is most passionate about his own glory would, would make God seem more distant and unknown to man. But that's not the case. And we have to remember what we just read earlier in the earlier verses, how God is committed to have this covenantal loyalty, this steadfast love for his people. So then why does God want you to know that he is most passionate about his own glory? Uh, let me say two things. One, when, when you are in the valley and you don't see a way out, it's easy to doubt whether you will persevere in the faith. Can, can you really keep believing even when your faith seems so weak? Can you really make it to the end when you have even lost sight of the goal? Humanly speaking, that's, that's the right way to think. Doubt whether you can really persevere to the end. It's impossible in our own strength, but with God, the impossible is possible. And so here's my point. Your perseverance in the faith, to the very end, even through difficult trials, is not ultimately up to you. God will fight for you because He cares most for the glory of His name. God will keep you. Your salvation from start to finish will be a testimony of God's presence and work in your life for His glory. So, keep believing. <laughs> Remember God's steadfast love. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but rest in the reality that God will keep you for the sake of His own name. And secondly, we learn something here that helps us to know how to live well as we wait for the Lord to come. How to live well in this age. Simply put, if God is most passionate for His glory, you should be too. If you're going to wait well, if you're going to endure well in this age, as you long for the age to come, you have to learn how to orient your life around the person of God for His glory. What, what needs to matter most in your life is not what you want, but what God wants and deserves. Uh, I encourage you this afternoon, go, go read Ephesians 1 and you will learn all of the things that God has done in creating you and redeeming you and you'll learn that he did all of that for the praise of his own glory. So do you want to wait well? Do you, do you want to faithfully endure life in this age as you long for Jesus to come? If that is true, then... These three things have to be a part of your life. Remember the steadfast love of the Lord demonstrated in the gospel. Um, spend time reading and meditating on gospel-rich portions of Scripture. Where might you find gospel-rich portions of Scripture? Anywhere between Genesis and Revelation. 
But let me also recommend a book, a book by Milton Vincent. It's called The Gospel Primer for Christians, and it's learning to glory in God's redeeming love. I forget exactly the, the small title, but it talks about the gospel as like a multifaceted diamond, and the more we look at it, the more beauty that we see. And so it's it's a, it's a easy read, it's a simple read that takes different facets of the gospel in little bite sizes and enables us to just reflect on it, meditate on it, remember it, rehearse it, recount the steadfast love of the gospel as demonstrated in the gospel. It's vital if you're going to wait well. Secondly, remember to keep in step with the Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells with us and keeps us. He empowers us. He knows our thoughts and our deeds. And spend time uh, in your prayer life. Spend time in the Word, articulating and crying out, asking God to help you live in a way in which you will keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, we talked about it in Sunday school this morning, is a great place to go. And it makes a great contrast between works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. How do we know if we're keeping in step with the Spirit? Galatians 5 is a great place to, to help us with that. And then thirdly, remember to live every day for the glory of God. You know, that's where our, you know, we can really kind of uh, say that and it can be kind of this jargon that we, we speak with Christian ease within the church where, we, you know, we, whether you eat or you drink, whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And those w words can roll off the tip of our tongue and it's not really stop to reflect upon the condition of our own heart and whether or not I, I'm really being governed by what I want and what I think I deserve or whether my life is really governed by what God commands what God expects, what God deserves of us. Um, there, there's nothing that's worth more than devoting your life, every bit of your life, not just Sundays, but every day of the week, to reflect the character of Christ for the praise of God's glory. Uh, if you want to wait well, that has to be something that you're fighting for in your life. And so... We're together. It's a good thing to be together because together we want to wait well. And so I encourage you to encourage one another to remember the steadfast of the love, the uh, steadfast love of the Lord, to keep in step with the Spirit and to live every day for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, these are wonderful truths, and we thank you for them. We, we thank you for this exhortation to remember and we confess that it's easy to forget. It's easy, be, easy to be distracted. It's easy to lose sight of you in the valley of life. But Father, we end today by just calling out to you, asking for your spirit to be at work in us empowering us and keeping us 
But Father, help us as Your people to also be sensitive to the work of Your Spirit and the leading of Your Spirit so that we can keep in step with Your Spirit. And Father, in doing so, we can live in a way that will reflect the character of Your Son that's being molded into our lives. And we, we desire that so that people will see that You are a great God, even as we sang earlier, that You are a great God. And Father, we want the testimony of our hearts to cry out that truth. We want those around us to notice there's something different about us, and it's You, and You're worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And so help us, Father, Fill us with your spirit so that we can live in those ways for your glory. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.